Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the excellent Catherine Williams. Catherine was incredibly generous with her time and we managed to talk about everything really from her early musical influences to her writing process, how she approaches new albums and collaborations. It was a really open and candid interview, which I thoroughly enjoyed. If you're not familiar with Catherine's music, I've put a link to her website in the show notes. Please do check that out because she's amazing. Before we hit the interview, just a quick reminder of all the ways you can support the podcast. I'm on all the usual social media platforms, so give me a follow on those. If you want to support financially, you can do as well. Uh, in the show notes, there's a link to the coffee donation page. And lastly, if you haven't done so already, if you could give a rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps as well. That's it for The Waffle. Here's Catherine. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Catherine Williams. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. And how's life treating you uh, in these sort of desperate times we're in at the moment? Well, it's it's a weird one. I think I've... Uh, touch wood, uh, find some wood. Um, I've I've got off reasonably lightly for how crazy the world's been. You know, like um, I haven't had much work for a few years, but you know we're we're getting by. My husband's a baker, and luckily, in the pandemic, everyone wanted to eat bread and cake. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that kept us going. Um. But yeah, I've been sort of just busy. I've got my home studio and I've been writing and had weirdly after sort of six years in the making when lockdown hit, my book came out. So that seemed to be like a good omen, you know, <laughs> that there was time for that. The the writing aspect of like, you know, exploring this other sort of part of you. I mean, is that something you've always wanted to do? Or is that, that sounds just... filthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, what have you done in lockdown? Well, I've explored <laughs> other parts of myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, writing a book, I, I'd I'd wanted this story had sort of like echoed around in in me for a long time, and I was like, well, I can't write a book. That's novelists do that. And then I thought, well, if I start in secret and learn as I go along. But don't tell anyone because I don't want to be one of those people that says, oh, I'm writing a book. And then that's, <laughs> you know, and they never finish it. So um, I wanted to get to the point of like almost completion before I told anyone. Um, so that was quite secret, really. And even with the family, like I'd do the school run and then I'd go back to bed and just write on my computer. And then at about half two, I'd like run around the rooms and throw in like shake and vac and like th <laughs> throw some flour on myself <laughs> and pretend that I'd been a housewife for the day. <laughs> um, but I'd just been writing really. Um, but it's really hard. I mean, like writing a book, I don't know if I can do it again. I'd love to, but it's um, it's like the sheer volume. You know, yeah. you, you have to come to the page every day and it's like... It is. It is slog. It's joy, but it's slog. It's a very different thing to sort of the immediacy of writing music. Yeah, because it it's a discipline, isn't it? As well. I mean, a lot of writers say that they have to treat it as if they're working. You know, properly doing a nine to five or whatever they decide to, to you know, to how they decide to write it. But if it's your first novel, you're kind of still playing 
with that process aren't you in, in in terms of you know working at it when to work at it when when you feel is your most creative etc yeah and I, I i'm really interested in the sort of the barriers we put up for ourselves in creation i mean it's only in the last five ten years that i've sort of got into the understanding of um saying yes to things and working it out later and I realised that that's the only difference between me and people who do stuff <laughs> is mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, no one has the answers because un- until you start doing the making side of things, um, you're not going to know exactly how it's all going to fit and work. But I think people are so scared of getting things wrong or making mistakes. And mm. and now I kind of relish that when I'm doing writing or music or co songwriting with another artist you know I'm I really always want to make a sort of safe play area so that um if you know if you do something stupid you don't like you don't sort of stop yourself because from there you know you uh, my next solo album's really playful in that way that I made with Ed Harcourt because we just created this really sort of safe space to like take things as far as we wanted and then bring them back and you know play around and not be scared really just touching on the, the sort of collaboration side of what you do I mean how do you decide who to work with or is it you know because you've obviously been in the music industry for a few years and you've met lots of <laughs> I love <interesting. laughs> I love that you went uh should I say a long time you can yeah. say that's fine you can say a long time yeah well you've in terms of like deciding who to work with how does that work I mean do you do you have an under, an idea of who you'd like to spend some time with and to see how it goes you're you're mistaking me for someone who has a plan (laughs) and that and that's not um I mean I've just sort of bumbled along for 20 plus years uh a lot of my sort of friend writing collaborations have happened a lot of them through Chris Difford actually from his writing retreats that I first went on and then I um, hosted some writing retreats myself and invited people to co-write together and lots mm. of those things are still still um still happening like um I know Tom the the record that Tom McCrane made recently came from um the collaboration from one of my retreats and um my working with uh Romeo and Michelle Stoddart and um David Ford and Emily Barker's um, album with um, Mary Waterson and Ardem that started at the retreat as well. So there's been so many sort of springboards from from those those times, and then also from that, um, I've worked um, with quite a few artists in Sweden and Norway. But two of the biggest artists I work with um, that came from. Uh, touring with someone years ago who ended up being like a really big producer and um, called me up because he knew that I was really quick with lyrics so that's kind of what I get how I get into it really is that word of mouth someone knows that they can call me up and I can do uh, you know a second verse or a chorus lyric in half an hour when they're in the studio and so I do that and then from that comes a relationship with the artist and then if we get on then I'll I'll work. And that's how I did um Peter Joback's last album in 
Sweden and um, Oyston Grenny from the band Big Bang in Norway. I did their record as well. So yes, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of how you how you would sort of um, describe your kind of songwriting and how it's evolved over the years from you know the first album to now. Do you think it's evolved over sort of your your span of work? A mass massively. I mean, um, the the songwriting processes have 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 changed hugely. I mean, a part of that is is co-writing with other artists I don't think I was ever comfortable in a taxi when asked what I did saying I was a songwriter until I started writing for other people and um, and now I'm, I'm a tutor and teach songwriting at places like Arvon and Moniac Moore so I have to think about that process quite a bit more and in the co-writing you have to explain kind of where you're going whereas when I'm on my own it's it's a bit like um someone working out a mathematical equation in their head (laughs) whereas when when you're co-writing you have to sort of write it down show your workings out and be on the same page so that you're both owning the song but yeah I mean it's changed massively I mean in, in the beginning of my career there's absolutely no way I would be sat here talking to you in a relaxed way um everything was a struggle like I I was I was plagued by stage fright and agoraphobia and um massively fearful that someone would find out that I wasn't really qualified to do the job that I was doing um and yeah I would sit down to play because I would black out um and it was little less further to fall. <laughs> um, so it was re- it was really it was a really, really weird and tough time for me. And my si- and my songwriting was very insular and um, kind of dreamlike, really. Whereas now I, I do a lot more um, characterizations and thinking in other people's heads, whether that's my own music. Or writing for someone else, I, I sort of can take myself to different situations that aren't just mine. When you hear something, you feel something, and you want to put it down. What's your kind of method? Yeah, I have a I have a pen and a little pad in my bag wherever I go, and then I have my my just my iPhone. I do voice memos loads of the time, and my notes on my phone if I haven't got my paper to hand or. I'll pull I'll pull over on a lay by if need be, yeah. And I've got a little guitar that I keep by the side of my bed because often waking up before that moment where you're fully waken up, you can get like a really beautiful melody that's come from somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, just open to it, really. I mean, there's no there's no sort of rules. I think that um, I think people feel these moments all the time, but like, don't always think. Or feel the need to capture. I'm the opposite. I'm I'm constantly trying to capture something, and it's in the form that's made me feel like my chest has expanded from just, you know, watching an old couple cross the street hand in hand, or realizing that like my son is like taller than me, or just like the light coming through the trees on a cold day. And mm. just constantly trying to sort of like work out a way to put that down without being clever, 
but try and bring that same film into someone else's head, I guess. Do you remember the first time you actually put pen to paper and wrote a song or, or a poem or something? Yeah, I was, uh, I think I was nine or ten. Uh, I mean, I think my writing came first of all from being ill. I had like my tonsils out when I was like nine or ten. And I remember I had a lot of time in bed. And then I got glandular fever when I was a teenager. And then, and I just, I was literally bedridden for quite a while. And I think that's when I started writing things down, like bad poems, <laughs> things yeah, like yeah. that. And then, um, you know, teenager into the Smiths, I would be like going down to the cemetery and writing in my notebook, feeling like I was some <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, 17th century poet. <laughs> you know, those sort of cool things that people do. <laughs> Did you have a moment where you kind of discovered that actually or had a feeling or an inkling that this is something that you wanted to pursue for like properly and or did you as you say you, know, you don't really have a plan but did you fall into this in that way and how did it kind of manifest itself to you that you this was something that, that you had to continue with? Um, well I had done an art degree and then um, my whole life I thought that I would just I would be an artist, you know, like in Ghost with a <laughs> in like a Manhattan Manhattan loft, and I'd wear like I'd wear dungarees and look as good as Demi Moore, <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, and it was I'd, after my art degree, I was on the dole and doing cash in hand jobs in cafes and stuff like that. Um, and I lived in a house with uh, I think it was five other people. And I would secretly uh, play guitar in my room. And they heard me and booked me on a songwriter's night. Um, it was just like a singer-songwriter one, you know, where, where you play three songs. And, yeah. um, and and it was the next day and I just, I mean, I didn't sleep. I was just absolutely filled with fear and dread. But I thought, I'm going to do it. don't know why. Um, but I did that and then I got asked to do another one. And on the second or third time I did it, um, each time absolutely riddled with nerves. Um, I think it was like a Music City event or something and, and the enemy wrote about me. And then I got interest and that sort of snowballed to like labels wanting to like sign me and people wanting to work with me. And so it just sort of... <laughs> sort of happened really sort of without my without without me trying really and then but then I didn't sign to a label I started my own record label um and the enemy wrote I think the enemy wrote that um I'd said that um everyone in the music business were a bunch of cunts <laughs> um <laughs> and uh I, I I don't even know if I did say that, but um, it sort of set me up as like some sort of reputation as like not to be messed with, which was kind of good. And um, and at the time, I think it was because like I'd get lots of industry people coming up to me and going, oh, you remind me of Alanis Morissette. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, you know, I'm further away from her than I am from Queen. Like, it just yeah, doesn't yeah. feel the same. Um, so, yeah, so I, I I 
set up a, the record label Core Records. And then loads of the indie people who were running indie labels in, in London um, sort of befriended me. So like um, Jeff Travis at Rough Trade and um, Lawrence at uh, um, Domino and Jeff Barrett at Heavenly. And so like sort of fell into sort of like getting help and support from lots of people just because no one was putting music out themselves at that time. I think it was me and maybe Belle and Sebastian. <laughs> Didn't really know mm. many other people doing it then. In terms of like the business side of things, I mean, was that that must have been a, a real kind of baptism of fire, just getting your head around the logistics of all of that. <laughs> it, was, it was, and I was terrible at it. I still <laughs> am, like, I'm just a terrible, terrible, terrible business person. Um, I really, because yes, I need money to survive, but I don't really care, like, or understand, <laughs> like, I need money, I'm a mother, I've got a family, but I, numbers aren't my friend, <laughs> and when I used to have to do the um, accounts for the accountant when I was, um, in core records i remember we had a fax machine that's how long ago that was and um i did all the account i thought it'd be really great if i did all the accounts on one massive massive piece of paper (laughs) that i folded and sent to them and then i did things like um you know i haven't got my paycheck i can't pay you yet um so so i'd like i'd draw them a picture and send it through the fax and say that here's a here's a deposit. This is like <laughs> and like things like that. I mean, it was stupid. <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked to anyone about my terrible um <laughs> admin. Yeah, my terrible admin. <laughs> but yeah, I mean part of part of being on one little India now, which is so great, is that like someone else is the is is the label. And I can just concentrate on creating. And would you, would you ever, you know, want to sign other artists and bands? Um, we did sign an artist called John Eggdell to um, Core Records, which uh, I really loved. And and I've started working with younger, some younger and up and coming artists who are great. But um, you know, that I just think that would be unfair seeing my skill set for. <laughs> business i mean i'd much rather put them in touch with people that i trust and and who know who know how to not use a fax machine <laughs> it's moved on a bit since then <laughs> um i was going to ask as well uh you know interested to know who you kind of were listening to very early on and you touched on the smiths and stuff but in terms of music in your house and you know, early kind of musical heroes who, who were the sort of people that were inspiring you well um my first record i bought was off a tabletop sale and it was Cat Stevens, Teaser and the Firecat. And um so my sister's two years older and she was really into like lots of eighties bands like Duran Duran and Eurythmics and things like that. And um yeah. and I sort of raided my grand's and my mum and dad's music. And so 
I had <laughs> I had uh, the back of Cat Stevens on that record. I think I was twelve, and there's like just this really close up of his face with a beard. Um, and I was I, even now. I think I used to kiss it every night. <laughs> I think that's a bit weird. <laughs> like 12 year old kissing cat stevens's hairy face but um yeah but yeah i i i loved um my gran had a dance set and a tease made that i took from she gave me them and i put them in my bedroom and i thought that i was like the most independent living child because i could make tea and listen to records and i didn't need anything else it was a grown up area so uh, in her collection, there was like quite strange stuff, but um, she had Nina Simone, and which was amazing to hear. You know, when you put a needle on a record and you don't know what is going to come out, um, and then you hear Nina Simone's voice, you're like, oh, yeah. wow. And I was like, is this is this a man or a woman? This is amazing. Um, and... Uh, my dad was really into Paul Simon and Bob Dylan and my mum was really into like Janis Joplin and so I had a really had really sort of eclectic but out of time taste so I sort of wasn't I've never really sat inside the music that's popular of the time and did did they shape kind of how you wanted to sort of right at all or was it just was that something you discovered on your own yeah well we went uh we used to go to uh quiggins in liverpool me and my sister and um secondhand sort of shops and buy um cassettes and cds and vinyl any sort of format really (laughs) whatever we could get our hands on and um i remember in quiggins like I bought I bought Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young Harvest and like that blew my mind and that was me really. I was like, I just wanna I wanna listen to all the music that's to do with this either mm. side of this time, but all this. Like not really so much sort of English. I got into um like Nick Drake and John Martin and and Bert Yance more at, at a university really, and then because I was doing art, you know, you get the usual sort of Velvet Underground and <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they were my favourite band for a lot of years. I just sort of adored them. I found them magical, um, and I suppose I did learn and want to be. I didn't want to mimic it, but every time I listened to those sort of records that I was buying up and finding a collection of I, I felt like oh I see what they're doing there and I understand now why this is like this and then sometimes when there wasn't answers for why it was so good or why it mattered to me that was the most exciting times. When you um think that you're going to do another album how do you approach that process do, do you have a sort of I don't know an understanding of what what you want to encapsulate in that record, or do you do you look at what you've got and try and work it into something like a new LP? How does that process work? In some ways, there are certain processes that do happen each time. Like one is that um, 
I never write a song with the end product in mind, um, like that it's going to be on a record or whatever. I just I just write songs trying to capture something each time and, and, and I end up with quite a lot. So I have like 40 or 50 songs for each record and then what happens then is I I try and whittle those down by one working out which are the best <laughs> but then also like seeing if there is sort of um a collection within it like you know if 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 they're all trying to say a certain thing that can be improved by putting them in in a collection you know so they, they either they tell a story or they all delve into a certain subject matter or um or they just hang together and complement each other in a kind of colour scheme or, you know, so there's like lots of different processes of how you end up hanging those together. I mean, with the new album that's going to be out this year, Night Drives, um, I was completely lost in that process. Um, I had like loads and loads of songs and I actually thought that I was going to do two albums, which would be, um, like a kind of woody, melancholic, kind of really quiet album and then quite a sort of synth-heavy, um, weird <laughs> other collection. And um, But nothing ever sort of... It just, it just kept... I, I tried about four times. I tried with, like, a few different producers. I tried with a few different studios with doing things at home and then... I decided that I just really needed help from someone that I trusted implicitly and so I I, I pleaded with Ed Harcourt who I'd done Hypoxia album with and um and just asked him if he would help me sort of construct and choose the songs to make one album and um mm. and yeah he did <laughs> uh so that was that was all down to him helping me really because I'd just got myself into a a right state <laughs> but what I mean what do you do with the rest of it then there must be so much so many songs there that do you just do sort of shelve them and come back to them later yeah and and you know it it, it sort of worked in my favor for the box set because like I made that's like got the 10 albums on but then each album has a bonus album so there's 20 cds in the box set and two books and and so each cd has like like demos or of the songs or songs that were written around that time so it gives you a different kind of picture you know like the sort of lost album of uh, neil young's the other year mm. like that it sounds really like harvest it was made around the time of harvest but it was never released because it was a really messy breakup and and I quite like the idea that at some point, you know, these songs can be related to the time of the album. And it's not necessarily that you'd re I'd release all of those songs, but it shows the sort of bigger picture of the creative process, I guess. That anthology, I mean, was that something you kind of had in mind or is that something that just felt right for the time? It just sort of grew and grew. And I was feeling that... Um, I wanted to capture like where I'd got up to 
um, in a collection, in a sort of anthology, so that I could, I could sort of put that down and say, right, what's the next lot of things that I'm going to do? And then, and that was part of the problem with this new album because I'd had anthology out, and it was like, oh right, so now the next thing that comes out has got to be really, really good because I've just put like a kind of greatest hits out, which usually means that you're done. (laughs) (laughs) We talked a bit about the collaborations and I think the horse has bolted on this question already, but I was just thinking about uh, your Christmas album uh, with Carol Ann Duffy, which um, I only discovered recently, but is that such a romantic notion to just write Christmas in a different kind of way? And I think you've done exactly that. I mean, what was the process like for that? It was amazing. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Caroline Duffy. I've got loads of her books and she came to one of my gigs at a festival that she was at called Nid Festival, I think, in sort of Yorkshire Way, Pateley Bridge, somewhere like that. Anyway, um, and she was in the audience and I literally could not look down the whole gig because I just got nervous if I saw her. Um, but we got talking then and said that we'd like to sort of work with each other and she was a fan, she'd bought all my stuff and um, and I was like, oh God, I can't believe that I'm going to get to write with Caroline Duffy. I was like, really fangirl ridiculous. <laughs> but then we started working together and became friends and like, she was so generous, like she'd just, you know, she'd send me lyrics and and say... You know, if you need to move stuff around, then you can. And I was like sat with this typed out, you know, printed out from the computer going, this is the, this was the poet laureate. And she's saying I can just move her words around. What is going on? I can't handle the pressure. Um, But it was her, right? She loves Christmas. So um, she'd asked, she said, can we do a Christmas album? And I was like, uh, Okay. Um, felt a little bit out of my depth, but I did that same thing of saying yes and thought I'd work <laughs> it out later. And um, yeah, so that that's been that's been the joy over this lockdown as well, just doing things remotely. And and then we got and then I got Neil McCall, who's someone else who I've worked with over the years, who I really trust. Um, I got him into. I'd been doing a lot of recordings here that were a bit scrappy but like had a bit of heart to them but I was like oh it needs to be a bit Mm. better than this to be released and so um and he took over the process of being producer and he played like loads of the music in the end for the record are you are you quite tough on yourself with the stuff that you write and and you in terms of quality control or or do you, you kind of just let you see how it goes in the recording process no, I'm really tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I want I want it to be I want it to be right, but but there's a difference in that. Like um, like the music that I really love can be that I listen to. It can have a scrappiness to it, and it can like not always be like perfect pitch, or you know, the guitar can go a bit. Ooh, <laughs> but mm. um it has to have uh it has to have that thing that heart that kind of b- 
believability that it really matters to the person singing it. Um, so I, I go for that more than perfection and like clean, expensive sound and records. Um, so playing live then is, is, is around the corner, I'm guessing. Now everything sort of seems to be in some ways going back to normal and or not, depending on who you speak to. But um, are you looking forward to getting back on the road and touring and, and playing live? Ah, <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got a gig in Hebden Bridge on Thursday and I just got a text actually from David Ford. Let me see. He was saying, oh, I hope your gig goes really well. Da, da, da. Are you, what did he say? Are you... Um, uh, I hope yours. I hope yours is a triumph. How are you feeling about it? And I just wrote back, "What is music? Where's my shoes? How do you drive this thing?" And then, like <laughs> a few bits later, I feel fine. I'm absolutely really excited about it. <laughs> it's yeah. I am excited. I'm I'm excited to play to people and have applause, <laughs> and um. <laughs> And that connection, I mean, there is a deeper thing that's happened. I've done like four or five gigs in these few years with people. And then I've done a lot more on sort of live Instagram and Facebook and things like that and charity things. And um, I don't know if you sort of realised how special each gig you go to is because it's never going to happen in that same way ever again and it it is kind of like a magical moment of I don't know just all being in the same room together not knowing if the songs are you know I don't know I, I feel different now being in an audience at a gig and playing a gig because I, I sort of I value it in a very different way do you still get like nerves and um, i mean i know it sounds it's a stupid question really because i know it does spur you on to sort of perform the best you can but you've got such a an expanse of work that you can pull upon and some so many so many great tracks and i suppose you should have comfort in the fact that you know that they're good but do you still have the the, the nerves and sort of the the anxiousness that goes with that and getting on stage again uh, yeah, I thought you were going to ask me if uh, I'd explored different parts of myself again. <laughs> 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 uh, yes, I do still get nervous, but it's a different way now and I kind of prepare myself for being on stage. I sit quietly and sort of try and centre myself and remember. Y- you see, I always, when it was at its worst, the fear and the... Um, the anxiety it was because I was trying to hide from people my vulnerabilities and my nerves and like and I was worried that I wouldn't it was them and me or that I was vulnerable to I just thought people thought I would I was shit and then I sort of like had a little word with myself (laughs) and said well people are paying to come and see you and they they're going to want they're wishing you the best and that helped and then realizing that it wasn't my job to sort of hide my vulnerabilities it was my job to like be brave enough to show them and that helped um so when I sing if I'm really feeling it I just go with that feeling instead of trying to brave it out it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Catherine. Thank you so much. I mean, when's the 
the album due? Is it? Have you got a release date? Yeah. So, well, what's happening is in April, I've got um, an introduction vinyl, best of, coming out, which is really exciting. So that's twelve tracks, and it's just like literally a track off each album, and then the night drives. Um, machine kicks in a week after that. Oh, that's going to be Record mm. Store Day. So the the best ah. of on Record Store Day, which is the twenty third of April, I think. Anyway, and then um, Night Drives, we're going to do a, a we're going to do four singles and then the album. So um, yes, uh, the first single will be a song called Answer in the Dark, which I wrote with um, Romeo Stoddart and Oystein Grenny from uh, Big Bang in Norway and uh, Romeo from Magic Numbers, obviously. <laughs> Great. I really look forward to it. I mean, and you doing any um, with, with Ed Harcourt? Is he, he's, this is the album he's producing. Yeah, so he's produced this. It's all finished. Um, it's actually being... It's getting pressed vinyl, three different colour vinyl pressing. Um, it's really exciting, actually. Um, yeah, that's coming out in July, the album, but there'll be like four singles out before then. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thank you so much again for speaking to me, Catherine. It's been brilliant. Oh, it's a pleasure. Take care, Catherine. All right, bye. Bye.